The Church Dads. Join Mark Haas and Curtis Ketty as they discuss faith, family, liturgy, current events, and fatherhood. Be a part of the discussion by emailing churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. Now, here are the dads. Hello, hello. Welcome to Church Dads. It's good to be with you all. And, um, of course, if you've not tuned in before, uh, this is The Church Dads, and we are a show completely devoted to uh, all things parenting, fatherhood, motherhood even, um, current events, the church, um, faith, and um, just interesting topics that we can come up with. And so we're happy to be with you here today. Uh, My name is Mark Haas. I am the music and youth ministry director at Blessed Sacrament Church in South Charleston, West Virginia, and joined by Curtis Ketty. Curtis. Hello. I am uh, the Faith Formation Director at St. John Paul II Catholic Parish in Olathe, Kansas, and we are also dads. I have three kids, Mm -hmm. and uh, you also have three kids with one on the way, I believe. That's right. And that's, I think, if, you know, and I'm a little biased, but... I think the appeal to this church dad show is that it's 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 not just for dads, it's for moms and it's kind of got a parenting element to it. But what's unique about ours is is it's it's for sort of these young parents with young children who, you know, Curtis, I think you put it once that we're like we're like we're in it, we're in the battle like now, like <laughs> we're in the jungle of chaos, That's I right. think is is how I put it. And it, it is we like sort of clamor through the underbrush you know, just clinging to our lives by a thread and coming to you over the airwaves is in and of itself a miraculous event. So we're excited to be here. And uh, yeah, and each of our kids are basically the same age, right? I'm working with five, three, and one. Yep, five, three, and one. Well, five and a half, three and a half, one and a half mm-hmm. yep. in the Keddy household. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So, uh, yes, welcome to Church Dads. Uh, We have a special topic today, um, uh, a specific topic, really. It's um, the whole theme of today's show is spiritual combat and uh, sort of going to battle with your faith, because um, it certainly does require um, sort of, uh, you know, this battle... um, uh, not not like a heroic effort, but it, it requires a lot of work, and there's an evil one that is at work. And so we recognize that, and we go we go to battle with all sorts of tools to equip ourselves. Um, but, you know, so we're, today we're looking at spiritual discipline, and, and this in the, in the church this comes in many different ways. This is fasting and almsgiving, prayer. There's all sorts of things which we're going to dive right into. Um, but, yeah, any precursors you want to shout out real quick? Curtis. Well, sure. Be- you, you know, you mentioned that we're in a battle, and the truth is that we are we live on a battlefield. Like that's that's where we live. Um, we live on a spiritual battlefield, and if we live as though the battle is not happening around us, then we're going to get shot. Like if you walked, uh, just walked nonchalantly picking flowers in the middle of an active battlefield, you would be uh, in serious danger. And same thing here. But the the awesome thing about this battlefield is that the battle has already been won. You know, like Jesus Christ, our Lord, has not only has he won the battle, but he has now equipped us with his own 
you know, his own weapons, his own armor to join him in the victory. So we have nothing to fear um, if we unite ourselves to him. But if we pretend like there's no battle and we don't communicate that uh, knowledge to our children and train them up to fight in the battle, then um, we're doomed. We're absolutely doomed. So that's why I think it's great always to, especially as we approach um, the season of Lent, which is coming up in a little while, um, just to remind ourselves that we are in a battle and that we have an enemy, and yet we also have a victorious general who is leading the way to victory. So Yeah, and I've found that with kids our age, it can be difficult to teach them the fullness of the faith because it deals with, you know, some adult topics, not not that we should fear away from, um, shy away from certain topics, um, but, you know, talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to a five and three and one year old, um, you know, they may not, may not get it all. So I have an interesting story. Um, about a, a couple months ago, I took my oldest uh, at the time. He was, I guess he was four at the time, but I took him to mass with me. It was a Holy Day of Obligation, but there weren't as many people um, in the worship space. Sometimes when it's like a smaller Mass, I'll take him with me um, up to the piano, and I, you know, I'll be with a few choir members, and we'll be leading music. And you can't really see him, but he's off to my side on his own little chair, and he just sits there like Linus and sucks his thumb with his blue blankie, and you know, we get through Mass. Um, and so... You know, but before I, 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 I knew he was coming with me and I wanted to be, I wanted him to be excited about coming to mass. You know, what do you tell a four, five-year-old? And mom, mom was not with me at that particular mass that at that mass time during the day. And so anyway, um, he's, I told him earlier in the day, I said, you know, Jules, um, Jesus is, is going to come to mass today. He's, he's going to be there. Like you're going to, you're going to see him. He's coming. And so he he looked pretty excited. He looked a little nervous. It's sort of like when you go to Disney and you're like, "We're gonna go take a picture with Mickey. We're gonna, you're gonna be able to touch him." You know, and he'd be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, Dad! What?" And, you know, they're excited about it until the time comes, and then they're freaking out, right? And so, um, but he was okay with it. He was just like, "All right, Dad, was can I sit with you the whole time though? Can I, can I sit with you?" And so, anyway, so we get into mass. Uh, we probably get all the way up to the Eucharistic prayer, and um, we start singing the acclamations. And, and so I just leaned over to him and would whisper to him. I said, Jules, uh, it's getting closer. He, it's coming, you know, he's going to be coming really soon. Okay, so keep your, keep your eyes out. And so at that immediate moment, he got out, up out of his chair and started, like, getting up on his tippy toes and, like, looking around, looking around the piano, looking around people. <laughs> and he's looking around the room, like, because he's, he's waiting for Jesus to come in the room. And so we get a little closer, and I'm like, yeah, he's going to be here. And so we get to the moment of consecration, and Father's at the altar, and, um, of course, he's holding up a host. He's holding up um, the chalice. And I said, Jules, there he is. Do you see that? Do you see that white you see that white thing? You see that host? That's him. That's him. He's present there. Um, you see that cup? That's where he is. He's present there. And he just kind of smiles, and he's like, yeah, and nods his head. He's like, wow. And I was like, wow, what a what a, mm. what a moment that was, because it, it just immediately made me think of, like, myself and just we as adults, and, like, wouldn't it be great if we could just come to every Mass with that 
vigorous anticipation where we're up on our toes and we're like looking around and we're waiting for the moment mm. when those you know those bells ring and and he's here mm-hmm. you know absolutely so arming our children it can be difficult and that was just that was like a whim no, thing i, I thought that. of and that's the only thing i could think of at the time but i was like how can i get him excited to come to mass and actually tell him what's happening and not like proof it up but tell him no that's it's so beautiful because we do we as adults especially we tend to uh kind of muddle through our lives as though this is all there is like we get so focused in on just the day-to-day that we forget the cosmic realities that surround us you know we forget that there's an entire realm that we cannot see you know that that there's a battle being fought for our souls like at every moment um and if we were able to go into Mass and see everything that was taking place in the spiritual realm, you know, we would be down on our faces. You know, we would, it would be unbelievable for us. And so for us to, for like for you there to, to speak to your kid and to tell him to open his eyes and to be excited and to show and tell him about the reality that is taking place just behind the veil you know, of this little white disc, this little white host, you know, just beyond that veil is the king of the universe. Um, I think of St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, he says that, you know, when Christ hung on the cross, if you were there at the foot of the cross looking up, all you would have seen was a broken man nailed to a wooden cross, suffering and dying. His divinity was was hidden, was veiled. All that was on display was his broken humanity. He says, but now, when you go to Mass and the priest lifts up the host, the consecrated host, now even his humanity is hidden. His divinity and humanity is hidden, but he is still there. He has just become even more humble, you know, even more silent and there he is broken again for us i mean his sacrifice is eternal and it goes on and we receive the resurrected lord in the liturgy and you know that's something that is so powerful and so unbelievable that christ himself stands in glory with his wounds uplifted as the sacrifice who is who is now alive but presenting himself eternally to the father and that we now get to join in with him, be united with him through such a humble veil, through that, that blessed host is incredible. So I love the idea of, of Julian on his tiptoes looking for, for Jesus at Mass. If only we would all do that. Yeah, I think if the only. formation can start as soon as they can communicate. You know, when they reach First Holy Communion, I think it should just be very fundamental. Like, I would hope, that now that was the first time I had done that, but I would hope that I could do that every time we go to Mass, to the point where when he reaches First Holy Communion, it doesn't surprise him. Like, it's just a very mm-hmm. fundamental reality. Yeah. Um, anyway. My kids already have a hunger to receive the Eucharist, even if they don't understand what it is. Just that they see how important it is for me and for my wife, Amy, to go and receive the Eucharist. Like, we tell them every week, this is the most important thing that we ever do. Every week, we come and participate in what God is doing.
to redeem the world. And I don't mind using some big words. Like, they're going to catch up eventually, but they know how much I love the Eucharist. And even though they crawl all over me like I'm some sort of a jungle gym while I'm at the Mass, I want them to know that there is something that I will get on my knees for. You know, that they'll see that I'm on my knees, that I'm coming every single week, that I'm there before the Blessed Sacrament, and that when we, we have bells at our liturgy as well, when those bells ring, now my, even my three-and-a-half-year-old knows that that's when Jesus is there, and he gets down on his knees imitating his parents. But, you know, that, that is the key. It's not me saying, okay, everybody, let's have a family meeting. I want to talk to you about transubstantiation. You know, what's, really getting, yeah, what's really getting into their hearts is them seeing us as parents, on our knees, seeing us living out our faith, like we are acting out what we believe. Um, all of the, the theology will come later, but right now it's that seeing that is going to lead to their belief, I think, for sure. Absolutely. That's beautiful. And this is not just us speaking in some pious uh, place. I mean, a previous episode we talked, we were talking about sort of the opposite about how we can be we can fail as fathers sometimes oh sure and how even that is still um a teachable moment yeah but it's even good for them to see that and for us to reconcile ourselves with them absolutely and that's even still a learning moment we're still on our knees in a different way you know that's so, right absolutely but yeah we have this tremendous responsibility to help um, our children open their eyes and of course we need to open our own eyes the eyes of faith but our children, I mean, we spend all of our time, um, it feels like, training our kids to, you know, do X, Y, Z, to prepare for, for independent life, hopefully one day. So, you know, we do morning chores in our house. We, like, I, I can't tell you how excited I was when we first started to train William to pick up his toys and put them away. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> well, at least not all the time. Or, oh, training them to go to the potty by themselves and to flush the toilet. Like, I don't have to do that anymore for one of them. You know, I still have to do it for the other ones. But, like, to see them learning these skills. And recently we, uh, we started paying William a little bit of money so that he could save up some money to buy a toy that he wanted. And um, so we, we started doing some chores and like we would just give him a little bit and he had to save over a couple of weeks. And he actually on his own decided he wanted to put a dollar of that into the offering at mass, which I was wow. you know, really touched by because he worked really hard for this money. And then he got the toy and we're trying to teach him like responsibility and saving. You know, these are all really important skills that he needs to learn. And yet, we often neglect to teach them those skills that they need in the spiritual life. You know, that we, we just sort of assume that everything's just going to work out okay. And we forget that there's an actual, real, personal spirit. You know, Satan, which just means the adversary. The, church, the tradition of the church has given him the name Lucifer, which means angel of light, because he was one of the highest, most beautiful of all the angels. And he fell in his vanity and took a third of the other angels with him. And now he's hell-bent, literally, on bringing as many other people down with him as he can. He hates humanity, and he hates the fact that, that God himself has become a human. I think it disgusts him. 
and that is now trying to bring people to himself. He does not want that to happen. He definitely doesn't want to see our kids um, get to heaven, be united with God, who they were made for. And so he is actively, the devil and his angels are actively trying to pull our children and us off of the path of salvation. They're actively doing it. And yet we are so passive in the way we sometimes live our spiritual life. This is the Church Dads, and we are discussing um, spiritual combat and how we can arm ourselves against the evil one and have some practical tools maybe um, in our own prayer life. And so, Curtis, I found a quote from your own patron saint there at a brand new parish in Olathe, Kansas, um, St. John Paul II Parish. So Pope St. John the Paul, Pope St. John Paul II says, Spiritual combat is an element of life which needs to be taught anew and proposed once more to all Christians today. It is a secret and interior art, an invisible struggle in which we engage every day. Yes, yes, it's amazing. And it is absolutely needs to be intentional. You know, Pope St. John Paul II is the successor of St. Peter. And in St. Peter's first letter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says, Be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. You know, be alert. Keep your eyes open. Um, the devil is way, way smarter than you. <laughs> you know, he is like that cat, that big cat, that lion sneaking around the edge of the herd, just looking for somebody to devour. And uh, the moment we let our guard down, the moment we stop clinging to Christ, the moment we start trying to do things on our own is when he gets us. Bam, he gets us. So I think the first lesson in spiritual combat needs to be who is your enemy? You know, I think if you imagine us in a herd, the thing that we're telling our little our little foals, you know, our little calves in the herd, we're saying there is a, a large and dangerous predator who lurks around the edge of our herd in the grass looking for someone to eat. Like that needs to be the number one thing that we, we talk to our kids about. It's like there is an enemy who wants to get you. Um, in, in Ephesians, St. Paul actually encourages the church, encourages each person in the church. He says this, Ephesians six eleven, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the trickery of the devil. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. They are the ones in charge seemingly in this world, and they're the ones that we're struggling up against. And if we try to put on our, whole, on our armor, we will die. But if we put on the armor of God, we will be able to stand against him. So, you know, we need to know that the devil is out there, that he wants to trick us, that he wants to pull us down with him. Yeah, and we have to be honest about what these things are that can tempt us. And you just said, put on 
to put on Christ. It's also in, in Romans chapter 13. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify the desires. Make no provision. No provision. So get rid of whatever. It could be anything. It could be a route you take home where you see something every day. Take a different route. It could be a, a laptop you just have to get rid of or re, re, wipe clean or whatever it is. Uh, make no provision because we have to have the courage to to slaughter these sources of addictions you know right but here's the thing here's the thing and this is this is something the devil will do this is a strategy he will say oh you know you need to you're, you're struggling with lust you need to like remove all lust from your life in one fell swoop you need to take it all down you know, you're so, you know, and what he's wanting you to do is to fail because you will fail. Now, what Christ does is he comes and he offers us another way. He offers us what St. Therese of Lisieux would call the little way, you know, where we're making constant daily small sacrifices in small ways so that when those big occasions of sin arise and that we find ourselves in, our will has been strengthened. It's like we've been doing... Uh, uh, like a regular workout, and we are prepared to resist those big things when they come. If we just try to attack the big things without doing any training, then we're going to fail too. And so that's why the devil will come up next to you and whisper in your ear, you need to start praying two hours a day. Two hours every day. You know, why aren't you praying? And that the devil is telling you that. What the Holy Spirit is calling you to do is to pray for five minutes. A day. Tempting us to be overwhelmed, maybe, in our prayer life. Yeah, I'm glad you brought right. up St. Therese. You know, she has this great story where she she had a dream, I guess. It's more of a dream than a story. But she faces these little demons in her dream. It was very real to her. And she's like a child in this dream. And she says, a soul... Well, basically, she, she's, she looks at these demons, and they run away. Every time she looks, they kind of cower away and run away and... They, they can't look at her uh, face to face. And so she reflects on this and says, A soul in the state of grace has nothing to fear from the devil, who is a coward, and will even fly from the gaze of a little child. So it's, it's sort of like she's also telling us, you know, there's hope. Um, with steadfast prayer in this, um, you know, sa this, this sainthood that we strive for, that there is hope, and that the devil cannot overcome Christ. Absolutely. We're already more than conquerors, it says in the Scripture. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Where we mess up is when we rely on ourselves. You know, when we are baptized, we are baptized into Christ. We become sons and daughters of God in the Son. We are so united to him that, you know, we are, have been marked indelibly the devil sees us, he sees that mark, he hates it, and yes, if we turn and look at him, united to Christ, you know, he is a coward. But as soon as we detach from the church, from the body, as soon as we decide to, like, try it on our own and do it on our own strength, we will fall. So, um, 
the, the good thing, once you've taught who the enemy is, the second thing is what is his tactics? He only has the same three temptations. He's always used from the beginning all the way till now. There's only three. And as soon as you know what those three temptations are and you see how Jesus has called us to defend against them, then you're set. But you must be sober and vigilant. So the three temptations, um, St. John lays them out for us in his first letter. He says, do not love the world or the things in this world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So he is pointing out right there from the beginning, the devil has always tried to get you through three, these three ways. He, test, he, he tempts you with pleasure, the lust of the flesh, with, you know, putting things into your belly, you know, making your body feel good. He tempts you with possessions. That's lust of the eyes. Ooh, shiny things. I want to add to my collection. More and more and more. A crew and a crew and a crew. And then the third is pride. This was the root of everything. He wants to tempt you with the idea that you are enough, that you are all there needs to be, that you can be the ultimate judge. We see it in the very beginning with the fruit. Eve looks at the fruit that the devil is tempting her with, and she says, hmm, it looks good for food. It's a delight to the eyes. It's very pretty, and it's desirous to make me wise. I can be like God. Right there, you have all three temptations on display. Well, when Jesus goes out to have spiritual combat with the devil on our behalf in the wilderness, he's just been baptized, and now he enters into the wilderness on our behalf to do battle on, in, our, in our name, on our behalf. He demonstrates for us how to resist the temptations. First, you know, he's quoting scripture back to the devil, quoting scripture from the book of Deuteronomy, which is very significant. But then when he comes down after defeating the devil, resisting those three temptations, the lust of the flesh, turn these stones into bread, the lust of the eyes, I want to give you all of these earthly kingdoms if you'll just bow to me, and of course the pride of life, jump off the temple and the angels are going to catch you because you're so special. You know, Jesus resists each temptation and then he comes to us and he tells us the antidote for lust of the flesh. If you want to resist the lust of the flesh pleasure, then start fasting. Start denying yourself the little things. And then when those big things come, you will be ready. And if you want to fight the temptation of possessions, if that's something you struggle with, then start giving things away. Almsgiving. Alms literally means mercy. To give undeservedly to the people around you. To hold everything loose. And then third, if you're struggling with pride, then start to pray. Pray pray, pray. In little ways, the word prayer actually literally means to beg. It is impossible to truly pray and be proud at the same time because you're saying, I can't do this on my own, that I am in the presence of the almighty creator God who brought me into being and can stop thinking me into existence at any moment. And so these three things help to train us against the threefold lust, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. We have fasting. We have almsgiving. We have prayer. And every year in Lent, the church reminds us of these three things, but it's something we should be working on all year round. Absolutely. And even, even when, we're caught, when we're caught up in the sin, um, as all of us will and always forever will be, um, we're not forgotten by God. And... Um, G.K. Chesterton um, shares something wonderful about this idea. He says, Every man who's, who knocks at the door of a brothel 
is calling for God. Uh, a brothel being like a gentleman's club or something. Every, you know, replace brothel with whatever you want, whatever you want. Every man who knocks at the door of gluttony, uh, 12-ounce steak twice in one day, mm. um, <laughs> is calling for God. Is it we're yearning for God? It's sort of like that small child that's acting out that needs attention, and the father comes with unconditional love to their child. Yeah, and of course, you know, the devil does not want us to receive what we actually desire, so he keeps giving us these temporary things that do not satisfy mm -hmm. until we find ourselves starving to death. Um, it's ironically what Christ does is he shows us that it's in the detachment that it's in letting go that it's in humility that we defeat him that we defeat the devil it's not through not by power not by strength but by the spirit and uh St. Paul says in his second letter to the Corinthians he says I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, I am strong. So Christ himself demonstrates for us that the true path to victory is in picking up our cross and following him to lose our life in order to save it. All right, awesome stuff. This is good stuff, Curtis. And of course, we've got another half hour to discuss this entire topic, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper. So this is the Church Dads podcast. Hang with us. This is Father Brian Carroge of the Diocese of William Charleston, and you're listening to the Church Dads podcast. This is CJ Ketty, and you're listening to the Church Dads podcast. Okay, welcome back to the Church Dads podcast, and you know, we are fighting the battle right now and always, and uh, we're talking about um, spiritual combat. This is a very biblical idea, this uh, spiritual combat, and um, I'm thinking of Hebrews chapter 4. The Word of God is living and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, and with that sword, we need our own protection. And sometimes we put on some spiritual armor. Right. I would, I would like just offer a little caveat about that passage in Hebrews, which is my, one of my favorite passages on the scripture. You know, the word of God is like a double-edged sword. But of course, in the, that context, it's talking about the sword that pierces into your heart. <laughs> so like this is a sword that hits you. Um, of course, we do use it in spiritual combat, but in the passage in Hebrews, it's saying that the Word of God penetrates all of your defenses and gets right into your heart, and it will change you, you know, and it's alive and active and has a mission. Um, however, you know, it, it changes us into little Christs. We are conformed into the image of Christ, and so we have the victory. And um, the beautiful thing about the armor of God is that it's literally God's armor. You know, the armor of God. Put on God's armor. He's giving us his own armor to wear. You know, it's this is a baptismal imagery. You know, we we put on Christ. We we are given his defense. And there's no better defense. Um, so this comes from again Ephesians 
chapter 6, St. Paul says, Therefore, take the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the equipment of the gospel of peace. Besides all these, taking the shield of faith with which you can quench all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So here we have this incredible uh, description of the armor of God. And did you hear how many times he told us to stand there at the beginning? It's like, it's so intense. It's like that you'll be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand, therefore stand, stand, stand. It's, it's great because it really p- paints that picture for us of the spiritual life, which is not one of like rushing into combat, but one of standing steadfast, you know, in, with the armor of God united to Christ, and persevering, persevering. What's that great hymn that you all sing to William, um, Stand Up? Stand, stand Up, um, Stand Up for Jesus. Oh, yeah. man. See, you're of the Protestant tradition, so you have all the hymns in oh, your back that's pocket. A, I'm a little jealous. You know, my mom <clears throat> used to sing that hymn to me and my brother when we were growing up, and she would always sing it to us when she picked us up out of the bathtub, you know, and wanted us to stand up. To like dry off, <laughs> stand up, stand up it. for Jesus. And uh, she would always tell us, be a soldier, you know, go be a soldier. And we'd be like rolling our eyes at her. And um, I, that song was always sort of a goofy memory for me, like standing up. <laughs> and when William was born, my first, I had this incredible opportunity to uh, spend the first half hour of his life with just me and him. Because, you know, Amy had an emergency cesarean. And so she was getting stitched up in the re- in the room, and I got to be like outside in the recovery room with with the baby, with William. And so here he is. First, this is my first experience as a father. I'm holding this little creature, this little human, in my hands, and I thought to myself, I should sing something to him because then it'll be embedded in his subconscious. And when he like cries later on, I'll just have to sing this song and he'll immediately calm down. Oh, the naivety, (laughs) the naivety of young parenthood. Anyway, so I, I didn't know what to sing. I was so overwhelmed in the moment. I was surprised when what comes out of my mouth, but stand up, stand up for Jesus. And as I like sing this hymn to my infant son, I start welling up with tears because for the very first time, I understand what this hymn is, is about. You know, there's a line in, in the hymn. It says, Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the gospel armor. Each piece put on with prayer. When duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. You know, there's this, this cry to, to battle, to always stand up. And when you've done everything else that you can think of, to stand, to stand firm, and to not depend on your own power, but to be united to Christ and put on his armor. Um, and it's, so now we sing that hymn um, as much as we can. I used to sing it every single night when the kids go to bed. They got sick of it, of course, 
but occasionally they'll still request it, and I'm more than happy to sing it. And they know all the verses, so I know that now it really is embedded in their subconscious. <laughs> wow, what a great story. That's just a Tolkien moment. Tolkien would totally put a, a song right there in that oh, yeah. moment of life. Oh, yeah, and so I, I owe a great debt to my own mother, you know, who I made fun of for singing that song to me for so many years, and it was like a seed that was planted that only, like, flowered later in my life long after I was out of the house. That's a good lesson for parents, by the way, you know, that we plant so many seeds that we do not get to see flower, and we may never get to see, but it will flower. Um, Anyway, back to the whole standing thing. Another one of my very favorite saints, you know, um, St. Thomas Aquinas is one of my favorites, St. John Paul II, of course, but one of my other great favorites is St. John Chrysostom, St. John the Golden Mouth who had all these awesome homilies as a priest, legendary homilies. Here's a homily he gave on the harm, armor of God. He says this, St. Paul speaks not merely of doing the deed, but of completing it so as not only to slay the enemy, but to stand also after we have slain. For many who have gained this victory have fallen again. For even after the victory, we must stand. An enemy may be struck, but things that are struck revive again if we do not stand. But if after having fallen, they rise up again, so long as we stand, they are fallen. So long as we waver not, the adversary rises not again. So this is awesome because as he's saying is when we do experience victory, when we do resist temptation, if we just say, ah, finally, I'm set. I'm victorious, and we rest on our laurels, that's when the devil comes up and grabs us. It's like it's a constant perseverance, a constant standing firm in Christ. Oh, I love it. Absolutely, and God always gives us these tools from the history of time, and you're exactly right. We see this where people, they think they got it, they made it, okay, we're good. And of course... um, you know, the the people of Abraham spend 400 years in Egypt, and they're like, we got it, we're good. <laughs> even even though by that point, they're, did they, of course, after did 400 they years, they're, yeah. they're, they're, uh, they're all caught up in animals and idolatry, and and you even hear, hear some of them, they're like, we should go back to Egypt, you know? Yeah. Remember, you remember so Egypt? Comfy. It was so great, and so... So they're kind of losing losing the grip a little bit because they think they've made it and they think they've got it. And so God the Father comes to help his people. Uh, I think the church fathers call this um, divine accommodation. He's coming to help his people to give them something to do, something radical that they can physically do. God gives us radical things to combat our addictions. And so Abraham's descendants, which of course are numbered by the stars, numbered by the stars, but this is the part that I like, Curtis, that we often overlook. Um, God says, of course, you're going to have descendants. You're going to count the number of stars. And so just, you always, I think, look at Abraham in this story and you think, well, it's nighttime. He's looking at up all these stars. There must be thousands of stars. And he must say, Oh yeah, God, I get it now. I can see all those stars. Well, no, you go like you go like four sentences later or whatever it is, and it says, "And the sun begins to set." That it was daytime. That he couldn't even see those stars. So you know, God comes to us, 
And of course, now we have sacraments and we have the Eucharist and we have confession. And we have these things, these practical things that we can do. Um, but it's as if we can't see them, as if we can't see the promise. Mm. We have to put this faith in God mm-hmm. um, to number all the stars as if the stars you could see in, in day, you can't see them in daytime. Anyway, I just. Absolutely. I mean, we are called to have faith in the darkness. I mean, there's, a, there's an old image. And I don't know where it's from. I heard it sometime in when I was in college, and I could never find the source for it. But it was this image of a man standing in a wilderness with the sun going down. And he's desperately afraid of the dark. And he desperately wants to stay in the light. And so his instinct is to chase after that setting sun, like to stay in the light of the sun. And he's chasing after it, but when he does that, he just ends up being forever in this land of like twilight and shadows. What he has to do is he has to stop and he has to turn around, face the darkness and race to the dawn. Like that's the quickest way to the light. And similarly, we are called to face the darkness and to race to the dawn, to be a dawn people. And even though all seems lost, as J.R.R. Tolkien would say, we're fighting the long defeat, it feels like. Um, we have faith in Christ, you know, who showed us the way. And the way to victory was not in some glorious, you know, battle. It was in laying down his life, you know, it, like laying it all down. Like he was stripped of everything. And then he looks at us. He looks us right in the eyes and says, pick up your cross and follow me. And we're like, wait, follow you doing that? <laughs> you know, like, wait, surely you don't mean that. Like, surely you mean to like glorious victory. And he, Jesus says, yes, to glorious victory through the cross. Like, you have to come through this first. Like, you, if you really want to be united to me, this is the path. You must suffer and die with me. And then with the hope that you will be raised with me too. And that's the challenge of the Christian life. It's a self-sacrificial, cruciform life. So we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, but let us not forget how he loved us. And then turning to us and saying, now love one another as I have loved you. And that's the, that's the real challenge there. It takes a lot of courage. And then, you know, it goes back again through the history of time. And God says, slaughter a one-year-old lamb. And of course, the lamb is 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 a deity, and so they're they're saying, "Wait, God, we've been worshiping this lamb." And he says, "No, no, slaughter it." Okay, all right, all right, we'll slaughter. It. All right. He says, "Now take the blood and put it up on your door for everyone to see." And they're like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa." So can you imagine that first lamb sacrifice? Like it must have been un. It must have taken an unbelievable amount of courage, because what you were doing, what you were saying, um. Um, was that I'm, I'm, I'm killing God. I'm killing the divine and I'm putting it up for all to see on my door. And they did it, you know, and what courage. Right. Killing those false gods and basically drawing a line in the sand saying that we can't stay here tomorrow. <laughs> you know, like if we stay here tomorrow, we're in big trouble. Like we got to go now. Yeah. No wonder they ate that meal with the sandals on their feet and staff on staff in their hand. Like God told them to do it, but I think they would have done it like that anyway. <laughs> you know, like we got to get out of here. This is bad <laughs> news. So yeah, we are called also to draw a line in the sand, to stand firm 
against the enemy's temptations and against the world of this present darkness, according to St. Paul, to stand and to make sure that on the front doors of our homes, we have the blood of the Lamb of God, you know, who takes away the sins of the world and who has offered himself up as a sacrifice for us and then invited us to join in that sacrifice, to participate with him in that sacrifice. So, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's awesome. Fantastic. Yes, we have to have the courage to, to get the Egypt out of our hearts, to get, the, to, to get the addictions, to whatever they are, out of our hearts. And we do it at twilight. We, we roast it with fire. We do all these specific godly things. But God gives us these tools, and maybe we'll get into that um, some more. So this is the Church Dads Podcast. We love having you all to battle with us daily. So hang on to us for the last segment coming up. Um, This is the Church Dads Podcast. Join the show discussion. Email the dads at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. Follow the dads at facebook.com slash churchdadspodcast. Be a part of a revolution to empower the Christian family. This is the Church Dads Podcast. Welcome back to the Church Dads Podcast. We were talking about spiritual combat, and we wanted to dive a little bit more into some practical things. We've got to take, hopefully, what's said on this show and take it in. That just includes the two of us as well. Taking it into our lives and utilizing it in something practical, something we can use daily. And so it first starts with our obedience to God. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will take flight. James chapter 4. So Curtis, I'm sure you've got some um, practical tools up your sleeve somewhere. Well, the um, the church has given us so many ways that we can be better conformed to Christ. You know, that's that's the end game. You know, that's what we've been, you know, called to. We've been called to be conformed into the image of Christ Jesus. That is the only way that we will be given the victory. Um, we are called to recognize our own sinfulness, our own weakness and inadequacies, and to reach out and find, find there that Christ has reached out for us and he's seeking us out and he's reaching out to touch us and to tra- change us and to transform us and to heal us. Like that is, that is what it's all about. And so the church, you know, is the body of Christ and the body of Christ reaches out and touches us through the sacraments and primarily there, like in the sacrament of the Eucharist, where we are united to Christ in the sacrament of reconciliation where we are brought back from the dead when we have fallen, when we've cut ourselves off from life, we can run to the sacrament of reconciliation and be restored and strengthened to, to stand another day, you know, in the power of, of Christ and power of the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, we even have like the anointing of the sick. This is a beautiful sacrament, the anointing of the sick. It's not there primarily to heal somebody of illness it is there to anoint them to suffer in, with, uh, with grace, to be a sign of Christ in the world, to show what it looks like to suffer with faith and hope. And so we are anointed to stand, to stand firm, because, you know, sometimes it's through those physical persecutions that, that the devil and his angels, they'll come at us. 
They'll be like, if God really loved you, you wouldn't be sick. You wouldn't suffer. And we can so easily forget the image of our Lord right there on the crucifix and think that, you know, suffering actually is the path. That is actually yeah. the path. So all of these beautiful sacraments, they help us. Um, so that's the number that the first place I would go to is the sacraments and the scripture um, for like those tools for the helping you to stand firm against the wiles, the trickery of the devil. What, what do you, what do you got yep. for me, Mark? What do I got, oh, you got for anything? you? Oh, you just had so many good ones. Did I take them um, all? <laughs> you took all my favorites. Yeah. And you know, I go back to this, uh, this theme of courage, you know, all of the sacraments you just mentioned take an incredible amount of courage. I mean, if if you um, have not been to confession in many years, for instance, it's um, it can be unbelievably overwhelming. You know, it can be it can scare you to death. Um, but there's one person, uh, I, one spirit, I guess I should say, who does not want you to go to confession, does not want you to go, and of course that is old hairy legs, the devil, <laughs> does not want you to go to uh, confession. Um, Yes, so it takes a lot of courage. You know, it could take a lot of courage to, um, you know, understanding what the Eucharist is, um, maybe maybe abstaining from it should you need to. All these things take courage, and, you know, but but fear not. You know, what does Jesus say? Um, the world may hate you, but it hated me first. He says, he also right, says, um, be of good courage. In the world you will have trouble, mm-hmm. but... I have overcome the world. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's amazing. Um, I, would, I would say that, you know, we talked about this in the first half of the show. You know, these three spiritual disciplines, which help us to resist the temptations of the evil one, that will inevitably come and continue to come every single day of our life. And the more we resist, the greater the temptations will be. So it's important that we are building up these resistances, but doing these exercises, these disciplines of fasting, almsgiving, and prayer. Um, and something I, I always encourage, like, new believers or those preparing for baptism when it comes to, let's say, fasting. But this is the, mm-hmm. the case for all of them. When it says, says fasting, their natural inclination is for them to say, okay, I'm going to give up smoking. Or I'm going to give up sugary drinks. Or something like that. Like, they want to give up a bad habit. They want to give up something that they're, like, totally addicted to. And that's a bad idea. It's like picking up a 300-pound weight to start with. It's like, don't do that. It's like the best thing to do, and this is, again, from St. Therese, uh, Therese of Lisieux, the little flower. She would say something like, don't put butter on your bread. You know, don't lean back in your chair. Like these tiny little things that you fast from that help you strengthen your will so that you increase and you increase until you're telling your body who's in charge. And the same thing with almsgiving. Don't try to give away, sell everything you have and give it away. You will fail. But like the little things, these little acts of mercy, these little acts of detachment will do everything. Now for, for prayer, and I already mentioned this, the devil wants you to pray two hours a day to start it's like just 
five minutes is a good place to start. I mean, you want to increase it. But even if you can't do that, even if all you can do is wake up in the morning and just say, ah, help, and that's your prayer for the day, another beautiful thing that has helped me is, like, I'll carry, like, a rosary with me, like a decade rosary. And, you know, when it comes to prayer, God knows what you're going to pray before you pray it. St. Therese of Lisieux, again, she said prayer is like an upward glance to heaven, you know? It's, that's all it takes. It's just like, I, I need help, or you are God, and I am not. And so I'll have this rosary, like, in my pocket, like in my jacket pocket or something. And it's not like I'm going to get out and pray an entire rosary, but if I ever feel tempted, or if I'm ever struggling, if I ever feel, like, weak, and I'm weak constantly, I just take my hand and I've touched the rosary through my jacket. Mine, personally, is a, a crucifix. Ladies and, and gentlemen, he is pulling out his crucifix for those who cannot see. So you can't see, you can't see at home. It's not like a small little one you typically see on people. It's like sizable. And um, I kind of like the weight of it because I can feel it through the day. Like I know something's on my neck. Like the one ring. Um, <laughs> that's right. Exactly. It gets heavier through the day. Okay. Wow. And so anyway, um, and I wear it under my un- most under layer like it's in against my skin so it's not like out i'm not i'm not really wearing it to be seen right, it's for right, me right it's a reminder um and so and it will remind me because like if it turns if it flips and like the corpus side is against the skin like you can feel that especially when yeah. you're like rolling around with the kids playing or whatever so it's just a little reminder it's like i've heard things like people put a pebble in their shoe or, you know, physical reminders that you kind of have to carry with you. I think that's a line from Godspell, actually. I put a pebble in my shoe. Really? Yeah, I noticed... Well, you would know. I noticed that your crucifix is a St. Benedict crucifix, so it has the St. Benedict medal, which inscribed one of the the phrases of St. Benedict is, drink the poison yourself. It's like... It's speaking to the devil, like who's offering us poison, and it's like drink it yourself, devil. So it's like it's actually your crucifix is a crucifix ah. of of war, of battle against. I didn't know that against the enemy. Oh yeah, drink it yourself. You oh know, yeah. I think I think who gave me this was Father Jeff. Oh, so that one's blessed by Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. Come he, on. Yeah, it is because he he gave uh, all of the members of the staff crucifix is blessed by Pope Benedict. So there well, you go. I don't remember that detail. Yeah, Benedict XVI blessed that unbelievable. Anyway. Wow. Okay. That's unbelievable. Well, now I just, I love this thing now. I mean, I loved it before, but... Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, we have these little reminders, and um, it's different for everybody. Um, I love the rosary and saying it consistently as I can, not that you have to. I like it because I can pray it without thinking, because our emotions are like a roller coaster. They go up. They go down. They change with the seasons. Um, a rosary prayer is like a rock. It does not change. Um, I can be in any mood and pray this thing, um, and it's it's just very helpful for me. Not that anyone needs to do it. Um, it's simply helpful for me. So just make sure that you're not like just emptying your mind and praying the rosary. Okay. Just promise me that you have a little bit of like an intention there. <laughs> yeah, I tell you what, that is that is the devil creeping in. Yeah. It is. It can be hard to pray the rosary. It'd be hard to stay focused. 
What I do is for every decade, I add a little insert line after the word Jesus that has to do with that particular decade. So if it's Jesus carrying the cross, Holy Mary, um, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus, who carried the cross. Oh. Holy Mary, Mother of God. Pray. And wow. so it's just like, it keeps me focused on that particular decade. I've never heard that it is. before. It's easy to get lost. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of a cool, creative way you can stay focused. I think the point is, you know, that we are constantly um, forming ourselves. Or, or not forming ourselves, but being formed, externally being formed. Who are we being formed by? And every day we have the opportunity to either allow ourselves to be formed by the Holy Spirit and constantly opening our hearts up and being intentional and remembering what we're on a battlefield, remembering that this is a battle and standing firm. We could do it that way. Or we could just continually pull out our phones, you know, empty our brains, just kill another hour, you know, sit in front of the television. And this is all stuff the devil wants us to do. Now, I'm not saying that it's bad to watch the television or it's bad to check your phone, but if you're doing that all the time and never doing these other things, then you will get shot on this battlefield. Like, you will fall. Um, the devil, all he wants us to do is to placate us, to distract us, to feed us the things that we want, to keep us fat and happy for the slaughter. You know, and meanwhile, that Christ is calling us on the narrow road. So we have those two choices Jesus says it's the broad way, the easy way, or the narrow road, the hard way. Most people are going to choose the easy way, obviously. He's like, but I'm calling you further up and further in on this narrow way. All you have to do is pick up your cross and follow me. <laughs> you know? And so if we don't have like this intentionality and joining Christ in this, in this journey, we will fail for sure. So I think these constant things that we do during the day, whatever they may be, to remind us that this world is not all there is, that there's more that we can see, that, there, that there's a battle being fought over our souls every moment, like, we need to keep that in mind. And put those phones away and take out your rosary, take out your prayer book, take out the scriptures, and spend some time reflecting on the reality of things. Good. It's been great to spend time with you all. I hope this topic is helpful to you as we approach the season of Lent. And uh, we'll all journey together toward Lent, which, of course, takes us to the triumphant day of Easter. This is the Church Dads Podcast. Good to be with you all. Mr. Ketty. Go home and love your family. Church Dads is a regular podcast hosted by Mark Hawes, and Curtis Ketty. Join the discussion by emailing the dads at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com and follow them on Facebook, facebook.com slash churchdadspodcast. Want to change the world? Go home and love your family. <laughs>